Thank you for tuning in to today's life message from Cornerstone Church. We hope you enjoy today's encouraging message. If you would like more information about the church, stay tuned after this podcast. Okay, so I'm speaking today on God Gives Life. Now, I want you to imagine something with me, okay? I want you to imagine that you've won a really awesome contest. It's a contest where they are going to totally remake your home. Does anyone on board with this? Yes? Everyone. Great. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I wish it was more than pretend, but at least we can do that. Okay. So we're going to pretend, and they're going to completely redo your home, which means that they're going to uh, not just even take out the interior. They're going to, like, replace the wiring. They're going to check the plumbing out. They're going to maximize the space. They're going to incorporate more natural sunlight. It includes your yard, too. They're going to do all the the work to make sure it's level. They're going to plant more desirable trees there, pull out that poison oak that you never want to touch. I mean, they're going to do all these things, okay? And this sounds awesome. But it comes at a cost because that means that nothing in your house is going to look quite the same. So I want you to imagine with me that you win this contest and so do two other families. And we're going to look at how those two families respond to winning this contest. The first one, they're told all this, and man, they are excited, and they, they are so, I mean, this is so cool. They've needed more space, and their house was kind of falling apart, and where's the money going to come from? And, and then they find out Chip and Joanna Gaines are going to help design it. I mean, it's going to be great, you know, all these good things, right? Okay. So, but then they look around, and they realize, well, you know, I mean, it comes with all new furniture, but we're kind of sentimental with, you know, this couch. I mean, the kids grew up playing on that couch, and and you know, this was the, you know, the playroom where the kids grew up. And, and you, know, look, you remember that, that place on the wall where you can't see the paint? And that's because you know, our, you know, the son tried to play baseball in the house. And every, every time I look at that, I remember that he handled his punishment so well. You know, and just, you know, I mean, you know, all of a sudden you look around and there's memories everywhere. And they had to come to a place where they had to decide, are we going to be okay letting go of all that stuff that we had for what's coming? They had to make that conscious choice. But then they reasoned, well, we want this house to last a long time for our kids, our our grandkids, the next generation. So sure, we'll make that sacrifice. Come on in, guys, and just redo everything. Now, the second family is just as excited, and the crew comes in, and they're ready to do everything, and they're about to get started. You know, they got their sledgehammers. They're going to knock out a couple of walls. I don't really need to be there. And all of a sudden, the the husband and wife speak up, and they say, oh, but wait, um, listen, this wall over here, that's where we put all of our kids' measurements when they grew up. And next to it is where we put all the pets' measurements as they grew up. And uh, so don't, don't mess with this wall. And, and, but, oh, but, and come here, this room over here, this room, you see, okay, this room, it, it was not the prettiest color, but we're really used to it. We've gone, grown quite fond of it. And that weird blotch on the wall, technically it's a spaghetti stain, but it's got a lot of sentimental value. So just don't really repaint this room any. And whenever you go outside, come here, come here. Listen, this side of the yard over here, that's where my husband chips golf balls like three times a year. He's really used to the texture of the grass. So don't really fix up the lawn over here. And they continue on and they continue on about all the things to not fix. And eventually, all the crew is really able to do is a little bit of fresh paint and, I don't know, maybe a little bit of new furniture here and there, but essentially, they wanted all their old stuff. So when the two projects are done, you're able to see one house 
I mean, nothing has been left. No expense, no, no, they spared no expense in making sure that this house was totally remade to be the best it could be. And this other house is better than it was. It really is better than it was. But it's very similar to the old house. Guys, God desires to give us life. John 10.10, this is a verse that's been a lot to me throughout my life, where Jesus says, I've come to give them life and life abundantly. Abundantly, as in more than you would reasonably expect to happen. Abundantly, that's a lot, okay? That's not a small amount. But the thing is, the life that he wants to give us, he wants to give us and it's supposed to take up all of us. Every single bit, every nook and cranny of your identity, every closet, attic, and basement, he has plans for every single bit of us, and it's very easy for us at times to get stuck on, well, yeah, but I've got sentimental value here, or I'm really used to this thing, or I'm used to doing it this way, or, well, I've always thought about it like that. And we get so entrenched in our way that we're totally up for that abundant life provided it fits neatly in that corner we left for it. And then that's all we get. Because that's, that's the amount of space we made. You see, guys, we want to make room for what he intends to give us. Because we get to choose what we receive, right? I mean, if someone is determined to give you something, but you determine not to receive it, you don't have it. I mean, they, they, their, their intent could be continually to give it to you, but if you never actually decide, I want this, I'm going to receive it, you won't have it. We have to make that choice. We have actually have to decide to go all in. Okay. Cake. Some of you just woke up. I have your attention now, because I said cake. Some of you love cake. This will make sense in a moment. We can get really stuck on our small ideas of what life is. We can get stuck on, on money, possessions, time, uh, uh, the exact picture in our head, and we get fixated on these things to such a point that that's kind of all we're looking at, and our gaze is totally there. And so if something else tries to come in, if it, if it crosses that exact area, we're paying attention, but everything else is just kind of, we're oblivious to it. Because we're so fixated on our idea of what this life is supposed to look like. But we actually get a picture of what that's supposed to look like in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Um, you're welcome to open up your own Bibles as well. I'm reading from the NET translation, so it might be a little different than the one you carry with you or on your phone. It says, Jesus said to him, and this is after he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. Man. And I really love that because so much in life, if I'm trying to figure out my own priorities, Jesus really sums it up right here. Guys, this is what life is about. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And it pretty well sums up everything that we, we get to do in this life in an awesome way. Now, I want to teach on this for just a moment, and I'm going to use cake to do it. Because I find whenever I use delicious food as a teaching point, people hear you better. 
I don't know why. They just, they just do. They, they, people like food. So I'm going to use cake. Loving God is the cake. Okay? That's, that's the cake itself. Loving people is the icing. The cake is not done until you put the icing on it. It smells good, it is wonderful, but part of loving God means also loving people. And the cake has not yet been finished until we put the icing on. You follow me? Yeah? So it is also important. Then there comes the stuff which God does bless us with. Guys, I have been amazingly blessed. Years ago, my car was breaking down. My parents just gave me one of theirs. I mean, that was a total godsend because my car was in really rough shape. There are moments when God comes through and he does give us money or things that are very useful, that meet our needs, that are, or that are just total blessings because he can, and that is awesome. But those things are the sprinkles on the cake. They are neither the cake nor the icing. Now... I've got a great, I have an awesome grandmother, not a great grandmother, that's different. I have an awesome grandmother who cooks a lot of cakes. My whole life, she's cooked a lot of cakes. I've eaten a lot of cake in my life because of her. And I've noticed something about cakes with sprinkles on them. When you cut a nice big slice out of that cake, some sprinkles always fall off. And whenever you put that big slab on your plate, some sprinkles always fall off. And as you're enjoying eating your cake, some sprinkles always fall off. But no one is ever really upset by that, except maybe like a four-year-old who just loves sprinkles. But no one's ever really upset by that because the point was the cake. In the process of loving the God who loves us first and loving people because we love him, at times, our possessions, our money, our time, it's going to come and go. But that's okay, because they're just sprinkles, guys. They're not the cake. That's not the point. So that if we lose, you know, if, if something, yes, oh, well, it becomes right. It was just the sprinkles. That's all it was, man. So you know what? On days, whenever I got a lot of sprinkles on, my, on that one bite, that was a good bite, man. But if I lost some, man, I still got the cake. I didn't lose anything. You see what I'm saying here, guys? It doesn't matter. So as we go through life, what is it about? It is about loving the God who loved us first. If you want to know how to love, just pay attention to the way that God loves you because he sets us an example. He teaches us how by pouring it down upon us. If you want to love well, know how to receive it from him first. That's your teaching. Like that's how, that's how you know, okay? So if you take something away from today amongst all the things that I say, make some time for cake today, okay? And you know what I mean, you can, you, can, you can eat tangible cake too, but you know what I mean, okay? So make some time for cake today. Now I want to look at two examples of what making room for the life that Jesus came to give us looks like. So we're going to look at one example where they did not, in fact, choose to make room for Christ. Jesus came to give life. He came to bring these things. He wanting to give all these things that he brought. We're going to look at one example where they didn't have room and one example where they did. And we're going to look at how these two things play out. Now, um, bear with me. I'm going to read a lot of scripture today. So if you get sleepy because someone is reading, feel free to stand up and turn around a couple of times and sit back down to wake yourself up. You want to offend me in the least, okay? And we'll have a really active church service. So it'll be great. Okay. Now, this first example, this one's a little dramatic. Mark 5, and uh, we're going to start with 2 through 5. All right. So just as Jesus was getting out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came up from the tombs and met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. 
For his hands and his feet had been often bound with chains and shackles, but he had torn the chains apart and, uh, and broken the shackles to pieces. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Each night and every day among the tombs and in the mountains, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Now, this is a pretty dramatic passage. Like, this is fairly intense. It's also a pretty bad scenario, both for the man and everyone who lives in that area. This man, his life consists of basically nothing. He has nothing. He has no relationships. He has no possessions. He lives out in the wilderness, and he's constantly tormented. This guy has it really bad. And because of how bad he has it, everyone around him has it a little bit worse. Because if this is how he lived, he's you know, there in the tombs, guys, which means that in that entire area where he's at, no one can come by there. That's not safe. This guy's strong enough to break shackles, and, and he's been bound. Like they, apparently, they tried to solve the issue. He was bound several times. They tried to like put a stop to this thing, make the area safe to travel through. You want your kids to be able to play safely. They tried to solve their problem, and he breaks out every time. Okay, so the fact that he is loose, I imagine, is a concern for the community. And then, of course, no one wants to be outside of your house, and in the distance, you hear this guy screaming out. I mean, it gives you a pretty unsettling feeling. So the area is affected by this man quite negatively, and he himself is facing extreme misery. Okay, that's the context. You follow me? Yeah? Okay. All right, so those are the bad things. Now, when, uh, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him. And then he cried out in a loud voice, Leave me alone, Jesus, son of the most high God. I implore you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of that man, you unclean spirit. There on the hillside, a great herd of pigs was feeding. And the demonic spirit begged him, send us into the pigs, let us enter them. And Jesus gave them permission. So the unclean spirits came out and went into the pigs. And then the herd rushed down a steep slope into the lake. And about 2,000 were drowned in the lake. Okay, very simple question. What was the cost? In these two, last few verses, what was the cost? Pigs, exactly. That was the cost, pigs, okay? What was the gain? Here's the man's freedom. Yeah, the man was set free. So this man, totally free from all the things we just described. And the cost in this situation was a herd of pigs. Granted, a lot of pigs, 2,000 is a lot, but the cost was a herd of pigs, Okay. We can all agree on this, yes? Okay, all right. Now, this is a dramatic situation, but again, what is the final result? Well, now the herdsmen ran off and spread news in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what happened. I'm gonna pause right there. It says the herdsmen went out and spread around what happened. What kind of report do you think the herdsmen gave? The pigs are dead. That was probably a focal point for them because it was their pigs and everything. But notice, the herdsmen are the ones who spread the word about what happened, which means that they're going to tell the story a certain way based upon what they deem to be important and less important. So at the moment here, they're telling a narrative in a certain way. Okay? All right. So they went out and they did that. Then they came to, see, um, to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man sitting there clothed in his right mind, the one who had the legion. And they were afraid. 
Those who had seen what had happened to the demon-possessed man reported it, and they, ooh, look at this, and they also told about the pigs. Where was their focus? The pigs. On the, on the, the cost. On the, yeah, but look how inconvenient this was. Look how out of the ordinary this was. Look how this was unsettling. And so, then they began to beg Jesus to leave their region. And he did. Because they asked him to. So he left. Jesus performed this great miracle, but the cost and the unfamiliar way it happened was such that they asked him to leave. Jesus came to give life and abundance, and he offered all these things. He restored this man. He solved the problem of the community. This guy who had nothing had his life back. Like, when the people come, they can clearly see this guy sitting there, clothed, calm, like, composed, speaking with Jesus. Like, I mean, this is a total different scenario. But still, in that moment, what they can see is that their pigs are still dead. Their sprinkles are gone. Thank you. Yes. Exactly, yeah, that's, it's true, guys. Jesus has come to give us life in abundance. And the, this will mean being willing to lay down on purpose, being willing to sacrifice our ideas of what abundant life means so that we have room for his. Because ours are small and his are big. Ours are narrow and, and incomplete, and his are whole and fully complete. Ours are based upon our, our experiences throughout our life so far, and his are about all that we're going to have in the years we've never even experienced yet. I mean, his ideas are so complete and perfect and, and specific to you. It is appropriate and it is good. But we get caught up on well, here's what I've experienced, therefore here's what I will expect, therefore I will not venture out of that. And that's a very small life. And it is not the one Jesus intended for us. Jesus came to bring abundance. And to these men, abundance meant more pigs, which meant they asked Jesus to leave. You see, we have to, guys, we have to be willing to say, you know what, I have my ideas but a lot of the time, my ideas don't matter. Not in comparison, man. Like, there's, I mean, that, that's not to say we never have any good ideas. I've had good ideas. But in the grand scheme of things, all of my ideas versus whatever God wants in that situation, all my ideas don't even move the scale. Because his are perfect, and they're that good. And like in this situation, they restore life in the way it is supposed to be. That's what Jesus does. He brings life. Okay, now, I kind of fed it to you, but in that first example, was it the one where they did have room or didn't have room? Great, you guys, all, all eight of you were getting an A, the ones who responded, that's great, okay, yeah. They didn't have room, that's right, because they were determined to hold on to my idea, mine. And so they stayed there. Okay, now let's look at a separate example. It's probably pretty obvious which one it's going to be. Okay, now again, bear with me, guys. It's gonna be a bit of reading, okay? So, chair spin thing, whatever you need to do. All right, stay with me here. We're, we're gonna make it, it's gonna be good. All right, this is a familiar story. Now, he came to a Samaritan town called Sychar, Jacob's well. Uh, Jacob's well was there. 
So Jesus, since he was tired from the journey, sat right down beside the well. And it was about noon, okay? A Samaritan woman came to draw water. Just a little side note, this has been taught a lot. Um, but a lot of people, they speculate that the reason um, that the woman came about noon is because this is a woman who would not want to be around a lot of other people, okay, that we're about to talk about here. A noon would be the hottest time of the day, okay? So a Samaritan woman came to draw water at about noon, and normally you don't want to do outside labor at the hottest time of the day in the Middle East where it's really hot and dry. Okay. So Jesus said to her, give me some water to drink. And this was very relationally bold because most people know that in the New Testament, the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along because the Samaritans previously, they had been Jewish people who had intermingled with other uh, peoples, and so they were considered unclean. And so for a Jewish person to even use or touch something that a Samaritan had used would make them ceremonially unclean. Okay, so there's a big relational gap. Like, it's one thing to disagree with someone and it to create some relational division. But to say, because you touched this water bottle, I cannot touch it or I am unclean and then must go do special things to become clean again, that's a very strong belief. And so for Jesus to say, hey, grab me some water, it was like a relational and cultural taboo. Because he's saying a lot of things when he said that one thing. You follow me? Yeah? Okay, okay. So, all right. So Jesus tells her, give me some water. So the Samaritan woman said to him, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, because again, I mean, men didn't always interact with women very much then either, not in this way, for water to drink. For Jews use nothing in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you'd known the gift of God and who it is that said to you, give me some water to drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Then Jesus, I'm skipping ahead just a little bit for time's sake. Then Jesus replied, everyone who drinks uh, some of the water, this water, will be thirsty again. Pastor elaborated on that just earlier a little bit. This is exactly what he was talking about. But whoever drinks water, uh, some, some water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said, said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come back here to draw water. He said to her, go call your husband and come back here. The woman replied, um, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right when you said I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the man that you're living with now is not your husband. This you said truthfully. Okay, just a little bit further, bear with me. The woman said to him, I, and this is skipping ahead a little bit, their conversations continued. She now believes that he's a prophet because he said something about her that he could not know otherwise, so he must be a prophet. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one called Christ. Ironic, isn't it? Whenever he comes, he will tell us everything. And Jesus said to her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Well, then the woman left her water jar and went off into town and said to the people, uh, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. I mean, surely he can't be the Messiah, can he? So they left the town and began coming to him. 
Now, I want you to see the similarity in the two stories. In the first one, Jesus did something miraculous. He set this man free. And people who saw how it played out run away to tell others what they saw. And they would tell it a certain way based upon what they deemed to be important. Then here comes this woman. And again, Jesus does something that is miraculous. He knows things about her life that he couldn't know any other way. So then she again runs off into town to tell people what happened. You see the similarity here, these two situations. But the way they go about it was quite different. You can tell in the herdsmen that whenever they went to tell the story, there was no place in their heart for what happened. Only damages assessed. Whereas when this woman leaves and tells the story, she has a very different way that she tells it. But now I want you to think what this would be like from her perspective. You see, she's a woman who, she comes at the hottest time of the day to get water, which is inconvenient and uncomfortable and probably socially isolating. As in, it's not safe to go to the well when all the other women go to the well to draw water because it's at least easier on her to not hear in person the things they say about her due to her lifestyle. So I will go when no one else is there, which was probably a difficult way to live. And then after Jesus does this, she runs into town to begin to tell people what happened. But how do you think she was received at first? This woman who was deemed to have poor judgment. This woman who is deemed to make bad life choices and be deserving of no respect or recognition. So for her to go and boldly say, here is what happened, would have taken a tremendous amount of courage and genuine awe over what happened. Okay, last little section. <clears throat> now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the report of the woman who testified he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they began asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And because of his words, many more believed. And they said to the woman, no longer do we believe because of your words, for we have heard for ourselves, and we now know that this one really is the savior of the world. Now, Remind me again, when the men who lost the pigs and the villagers came to Jesus in the first story, they asked him to, what was it? They asked him to, oh yeah, to leave. And then the, these Samaritan people who are supposed to be, you know, like less worthy, they come and they you know, hear Jesus and they ask him to, oh, wow, look at the contrast. I'm really playing this up, guys. I hope you hope this is crystal clear. Okay, like, <laughs> so they had room for him. They, were, they, they could let go of whatever else they had to, to have room for him. They asked him to stay a few days. They came to him outside the town. Do you think that the way they structured their days had to be different as they left their town and came out to the well where Jesus was for the days that he was there? You think they sacrificed anything on that day? Missed some meals. I mean, we're Americans. Come on, we don't miss a meal. Like, they missed meals, you know, to, just to be with him, just to have that experience, to hear his words, to spend time with him, that their day, whatever they were going to do, was no longer what they were going to do because Jesus was here. They had room for him. And one more thing, before all this, the woman was known for certain things. But after this day, after these days with Jesus, what was she known for now? She's the woman who brought Jesus to the whole town. Like, this woman's life was restored. 
because that's what Jesus does. He restores. And so in him coming, he could have come and he could have come to someone else or he could just come in the town and she might have been in the back being like, well, I mean, that's not really for me. That's for everyone else. But it happened through her and now, guys, I bet her reputation, totally different. Because everyone knew Jesus was there because of her. She got her life back. And in fact, the whole town did. So guys, when there was room, so much good happened. And when there wasn't room, all the room that there was was used. But whenever that room was used up in that first story, whenever there wasn't any more room to receive anything good, okay, well, Jesus left. He intends good all the time. But the question is, what are we willing to chuck out of our house to make some more room? I mean, come on. Like, what else, what, do we really need anything else, you know? Like, make space, man. Make way. Gosh. It will not always make sense. And that is hard for me because I have, I, I was the kid growing up. In my house, we never planned meals. We didn't. Like, we decided what we were going to eat for supper at supper time. So we never, this is not how we function. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just not how we, and yet, I, as a kid, I would always ask my mother, what's for dinner tonight? I had never, we had never even operated that way, but I'm a planner. I'm like, I want details, and I want to know when things are going to happen. Like, I'm an exact, I mean, you know, that's how I, that's my comfort zone. And I have been challenged multiple times, and I know it's going to keep happening to me, that God's going to call me to do things that, to me, do not make sense. Do them anyway. Every time I've ever done those things, it's been great. And the times that I haven't afterwards, I wish I had. The times that I did it, I get this amazing story and this confirmation and this building of my faith, this testing of my metal that I, I need as a man. And the times that I don't, I realize, you know, God still loves me, but it would have been awesome if I had jumped on that, if I had just moved on that, 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 that pressing in my heart that was clearly there. I just gone for it, because what do I really have to lose, man? He loves me either way, but I get something really awesome if I'm a part of what he's doing. Matthew 3, 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John to be baptized by him in the Jordan River. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? So Jesus replied to him, let it happen now. For it is right for us to fulfill all righteousness. And here's a sentence I want to focus on. Then John yielded to him, despite not understanding. After Jesus, Jesus was baptized, just as he was coming up out of the water, the heavens opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my one dear son. In him I take great delight. John yielded to Jesus despite not understanding why it needed to happen that way. And, and let's be real here. John was already a very dedicated guy. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He lived out in the wilderness. He proclaimed the gospel. He prepared the way for the Lord. The dude lived off locusts and honey. He wore a, a, a camel hair tunic. I mean, I only imagine that's really itchy. I don't know. But in my head, it sounds itchy, okay? Like, this was a dedicated dude. No one would say this guy was like, you know, I mean, kind of halfway committed. He was totally committed. 
And even with all of, you know, Jesus even says later that among all the men born of women, there was none greater than John. And yet even the least in the kingdom is greater than him because of what was to come. But so that clearly says, you know, John, man, he was a knowledgeable, Holy Spirit, like powerful man. And there were times he lacked understanding and just had to yield. There, guys, we can think at times due to our experience, due to the level of our previous sacrifice, due to what we have encountered in the past, it's like, well, I mean, I, I kind of know what I'm doing right now. Like, I mean, I probably don't need to yield my understanding anymore because I've seen some stuff. There's not ever going to be a point where we don't have to yield our understanding at some, in some area. Because God will always be doing things, God's always going to be doing things that are beyond us. And a prerequisite is not to fully understand. And I, man, I mean, I don't know if I'm alone here or if you guys can identify, but God has moved on me to do things like, hey, go talk to this person. I mean, I can see, like, I can feel the impression in my heart. I need to go talk to so-and-so. And then inside, I'm like, well, God, um, what am I supposed to say? Uh, okay, okay, but how, how am I supposed to say that exactly? And, and what... What will they say after that? And then, you know, and I just kind of, a lot of questions come, and I liken the opportunity to a birthday candle, and that God lights a little something and says, okay, here's, here's where, you're, where you're to go. And very often in my head, as God impresses upon me to move, I'll reason, and I'll think, and I'll converse, and I'll reflect, and I'll talk, and all these things. And a funny thing about birthday candles is they don't last very long. And if you don't act on them in the span that they are in front of you. God still loves you. Jesus still died for me, but I lost my shot for that specific instance. And I'll get another one. I mean, God's, you know, God still has plans for me constantly. His plans for me are never going to end. You know, uh, he's got one for me right after that one, but I get a chance to act and I don't want to wait for the candle to go out. I want to go ahead and just go for it. Because what do I have to lose? So, yeah, guys, we have to yield. And sometimes it will make sense, and sometimes it won't. But we just got to do it anyway. Because, man, that's living. We tend to think a lot of times that, that money or stuff, it's like, you know, that, that phrase, man, this is living. You know, like, you know, and usually that's associated with someone who's on a private jet or in a jacuzzi in the Bahamas or on the beach. You know, it's like, man, this is, you know, really living. But I've found that I've experienced a lot of really cool things. I've gotten to go to New Zealand, and I got to go to India in college, and I've gotten to travel around a bit. And I've gotten to do in, from in my life what I think are some pretty cool things. But if I'm honest with myself, the moments in my life that I would say, that I, in, my, in my deepest of heart, where I'm like, man, this is living, those are always the moments where I am incredibly close to God, turning all my attention to him in worship, and greatly loving those around me. And in those moments, I'm like, man, this is living. Like, this is living. Now, and I honestly, and I can do that anywhere. I mean, you can go to the other side of the world, and you can still do that. And that, because that can be true no matter where you are. But we often, the, our culture wants to kind of ingrain in you that this is living is going to be possession-based or money-based or where, or, or, or what's your physical location on the earth? But no, man, what were the two greatest commandments? To love the Lord my God and love my neighbor as myself. And when I'm doing that, man, that's living. Like, that's living. Man, like, this is what living is, you know? Like, and I know it. I know it. And so the truth is, I get that every day. 
I, get, I mean, this is living every day. Like, this is, wow. Don't we have it good? Like, we, let's not forget. We've got it good, guys, because God brings life. All right, last slide. Last slide. Matthew 7, 7 through 12. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. And I'm just going to add a little thing here, guys. We, due to our microwave society, we get very tempted to say, you know, seek and you will find. But then, and I've run into this as I've, I've taught kids before, you know, it's over here. And after six seconds of looking, it's not here. It's like, well, maybe it is. Maybe, it, you know, but, but the, the, the attention span of the seeking or how long we're willing to knock can be quite short. And one way to translate this is to continuously knock, to continuously search. Not as in if it's a moment, but as in this is my way of life, man. I knock and I search and I, and I go after these things. It says, because for everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you? And I love how Jesus makes this just so realistic. Is there anyone among you who if his son asks for bread, he's going to give him a stone? That'd be a horrible dad. That'd be a, like, no, no one does that. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, although you were evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? In everything, treat others as you would want them to treat you, for this fulfills the law and the prophets. Man, guys, God has so much good in store for us. And I want to be continuously knocking on that door and continuously asking him. And re- relationally, you know, like, I mean, it, I, this isn't my, my wish list. This is like, you know, Father, I want to know more about you. I want to know, you know, God, how, um, this person, I, you know, all these people I can love easily. And this person I have a hard time loving. God, how do I love this person? I mean, let's be real. We all have people that we specifically have an easier time or harder time loving. And who better to teach us how to love people that might be difficult for us than the one who made them and designed them and already loves them, right? I mean, guys, we, we can do this. This is ours. But, man, let's make some room. Let's knock down some walls. Let's put on some fresh paint. Let's make an area where we receive all of it because he has abundant life for us today. So in closing... <clears throat> Trust his kindness towards us. What is worth moving out of your house today? If you feel that the cost is too high, like the herdsman, allow yourself to re-examine your perspective and be open to his. If you feel that maybe you've been able to find flaws in people who advocated for Jesus in the past, and therefore because of that person's flaws, maybe the message is not legit, Go and talk to Jesus for yourself. Find out for you. Don't just say, well, that person isn't perfect, therefore it probably is all hokey. No, man, find him for yourself. Seek after him personally, just like the people in the town did. If you've been in ministry or you've been through a lot of life experiences and you've sacrificed and you feel like, man, what do I really have to yield? Continue to yield your understanding because there's always more. If you've doubted that he's a good father who will take care of you, Make your needs known continually and then watch to see how he shows up very often in the way you did not expect in the direction you were not looking in. Guys, we have it good. Let's explore the good that we have 
and be willing to part with the familiar because there's a lot more in our lives that we get to have than just the familiar things we've had before. Amen? Amen. Okay. Uh, I want to close in prayer, and um, then I'll turn it over uh, to our next transition. Um, but here's, here's what I want you to do. Because uh, I like to do things that are tangible. If in this time God has placed anything on your heart that you realize, you know what, this thing is in the way. And I've kind of known it, or maybe I didn't know it until just now, but whatever that is, I want you to lay out your hands and pretend that thing, big or small, is in your hands. And as we pray, literally surrender that thing or things, the sprinkles, to God and tell him you're ready for what's going to take that thing's place because it's time for that thing. It's time for the better thing. Father, we thank you for your goodness today. Jesus, whatever separates us from the abundant life that you have for us, where we get to love you well, where we get to love our neighbors well, God, where we really live, whatever is in the way of that, God, we let it go. We let go of trying to meet others' expectations of trying to match a perfect picture in our head, of, of trying to, to hold ourselves together and be self-sufficient. We let go of those things. We say, Jesus, come in and give us your abundant life because we need you. Jesus, thank you for giving us this and teach us how to walk in it every single day. In your name we pray and we confidently say amen. Amen. Amen, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's encouraging podcast. You can find out more information about the church on our Facebook page at Cornerstone of Victory Church, Statesville. Remember, life begins at the cross.